Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, what's happening, buddy? What's going on, man? Oh, shit. Literally just walked in the door. Been uh, a long day. I was uh, um, interning at 95.5 The Game, so I was there for uh, a a conference meeting, and one other intern there with me. It's going to be fucking sweet. Um, uh, I, I got access to go to Urban Meyer's press conferences on Monday. I can go to Berea and go to the Browns press conferences and cover it for them. Uh, Come, well, this is all stuff. This part, just don't repeat, but they're going to be going more like high school football on Friday. So 
they're going to be doing like a game of the week and then next year, like on-site location and stuff like that. And I'm going to be doing like a half hour, like score show after the football games are over. So a lot going on there. And then I just got a new computer and trying to figure that out. Uh, I was at school all day. So just a lot going on. That's all. How about you? I mean, it sounds like it's all good problems to have. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's great problems to have. I'm just, it's been a long day. I haven't had a chance to even get into the house. So I just, uh, it was uh, coming in on the fly, I guess. All right. Well, let me just to tell you what I'm kind of thinking. And most of this stuff is, uh, I mean, pretty straightforward. I would like to do like 10 minutes of like an NBA draft show. We just talk about, you know, the debate, who do you take number one? Um, the best fit for D'Angelo Russell, what we think the Cavs should do, which we'll probably repeat the same thing for the regular show, but what we think the Cavs should do, and then, you know, guys that we like in the draft that, you know, are can't miss and uh, some diamonds in the rough, but then guys that uh, should stay, probably stayed in school or not be in the draft. Or, like, we don't think they'll translate well to the NBA, and that's pretty much that. They just came out. This just came across the wire that the NCAA is trying to put forth a new rule that players could actually go back in the school starting 2016 if they uh, are don't like where they're drafted or they're not drafted. Which is well, I, I heard it's a done deal. What it is is after the combine. They can't go through the draft process and be actually drafted. Uh, if they, but okay, they can go, they go to the combine and right. they get a bad grade. I got you. Okay. Well, that's yeah, still, then that's they can come back. Yeah, Hell yeah. Nothing. That's a great step. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I I literally just saw it. I had turned the TV off, so I hadn't even researched or anything. I just saw it come across the crawl, and I saw the guy talking about it for a quick second, but I had it on TV on YouTube, so yeah, no, I didn't understand the details of it, but, um, gotcha. yeah, I just think, I think that's awesome. Uh-oh. And then the regular show, I mean, what can you really say about the Indians? Uh, I'm disgusted. Not much at this point. <laughs> I, I mean, the Indians and the Browns, not much. Want to get into CBJ, the NHL draft, a little bit. Um, you know, uh, CBJ adding that coach and uh, signing Curtis McElhaney and, you know, that, that and what we think, are they really trying to make this trade uh, with the Coyotes, you know, in the draft? I don't know how much you want to talk about that. Um, I, know you I haven't been paying attention at all to the draft or any of the NHL stuff, to be honest with you. Right. We'll just mention I've been class over it. It's fine. I thought one of the cool stories was that uh, Terrell Pryor had to get clearance from Ohio State to go practice for the Browns at the scrimmage at Ohio Stadium. Did you hear that one? No, I did not. That's funny. He's banned. Yeah, he's banned from all Ohio State athletic facilities, so they actually had to go and get get permission for him to come and and play for the Browns at Ohio Stadium during the scrimmage, if he's still there, I guess. It was pretty funny, though. Um, you know, we really go deep on the Cavs. You know, that's what's going to be the yeah. part of the show. Um, and then I know you want to talk about the U.S. Open. Um, I'll yeah. say this. I did, I did not watch any of it. I couldn't watch that course. I watched Thursday and Friday, and I just got, I just couldn't take it. So I could I mean, I missed – I know it was a great ending, but I couldn't even – I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. Yeah. It got better. It, it, it kind of – you had to get used to it, I think, a little bit. But, you know, it's it's once a year that these guys go through that grueling test. And this course is in – we won't see this course for another eight years. And it'll be 
it, it'll look different. It's a young course. What's, it's eight the, years old. what's the one? What's the one that they always play that they say is a grueling course in uh, in Pennsylvania though that hosted the U.S. Oakmont. Like that's it. Oakmont. Next year. Uh, it, it starts with a. It starts. With, I thought it was with a B. Like Glasspage or Bethel or something like oh, that. Oh, that's in New York. That's uh, yeah, Bethpage. Bethpage Black. Bethpage Black. There you go. I know it was something weird. Okay, yeah. Bethpage Black. But isn't that a grueling? I know it's not a link style course, which everybody's just got like enamored with saying that term. Uh, you know, just because it's by the ocean, and it looks nothing like the British Open course. Like I watched the British Open last year. I've seen it like you know what they had the British Open at over years. Like people kept saying that. So I mean. You know, well, I actually, like last year's British Open course was more American than anything else. It felt. I, like. yeah, I remember that, where they I played remember, it. I remember. Yeah, I remember that because we were talking about it. But I'm saying, yeah. like, that course out there was just terrible. It was a terrible job by the USGA. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no other way to say it. Now, I know you got to yeah. play it, but my thing was that how long that course had only been in operation for like a year. Eight years. Eight years. Which eight is years, still uh, like uh, it's like uh, eight years is an infant. As far as the golf course goes, I don't know. But that's so I mean, it, it's really young. But yeah, I mean, there's you had a lot of things compounding it. You know, Fox's first year of covering it didn't help. Uh, you know, a lot of the the camera angles and stuff like that they weren't ideal. They were constantly trying to find the golf ball. Uh, so I think some of that will get corrected. I, the most frustrating thing for me about it wasn't really. It, it was like you said, the watchability. You know, not being able to know where the golf ball was uh, for me was the bigger thing. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, I, so I don't have a lot on that. Um, so pretty much it'll be like we go to the intro. I want to talk about Pete Rose right off the bat. I don't know how you. Think oh, me it, too. So we talk about that, um, and I want to go through. Uh, we'll go Indians and talk Brown take a break, come back, talk Blue Jackets. I want to talk uh, just a little bit of MMA because some stuff happens. Um, and uh, I want to talk that – I don't know if you saw that Showtime Porter, Adrian Broner fight. Um, I did, actually. I watched the last three or three or four rounds. I turned it on. Yeah, so we'll talk yeah. that fight. And then um, and then uh, do the U.S. Open. So that's the middle segment. And then um, finish up with the Cavs at the last segment because that'll probably be the longest one for us. Cool. Speaking of Indians Browns and Ohio State, well, no, I'm going to use Ohio State in the closing. I was just going to talk about them being favorites. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got, though. Cool, man. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll flow with you. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Our NBA draft special. 2015 NBA draft is upon us. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. Hey, and I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus, and we're talking draft. All right, this NBA draft special, we're going to talk about the top three who should be taken in the NBA draft. Uh, we know the Cavs have the 24th pick, a rare position 
in the last uh, year. Uh, we all yeah. know why Cash just finished up in the finals, but uh, we'll be seeing, we'll be giving our opinions on who should be the number one pick and then weighing in on the best fit for Ohio State's own, D'Angelo Russell, who has been awesome in his media appearances leading up into the draft. Uh, we'll then talk about what the Cavs should do. And, of course, the guys we like in the draft and the guys that we think maybe should have stayed in school or just won't make the NBA pro. This is what I, I was – oh, sorry. I wanted to get in there before you hit it, hit the break, though. I was starting to think, though, the Cavs just got grandfathered into that number one overall pick every year after the, these last three years. Yeah, well, uh, somehow uh, Cliff Saunders took care of that. I mean, uh, he's going to keep Minnesota there with their 16 wins every year. It's a beautiful thing drafting at the bottom. So we're yeah, not we're very happy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a real thing that NBA draft snuck up on us. Uh, snuck up on us, considering the Cavs just finished up in the NBA Finals. We all know the result there, but uh, we are looking forward to see what magic James Griffin can pull out of the bag this year. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We will see you on the other side talking the top three picks in the NBA draft. All right, Jake, you're sitting at the number one pick. Who do you take, Carl Anthony Towns, Jalil Okafor, or do you take a Euro or D'Angelo Russell? All right, uh, I'll preface it by saying the guy I take isn't the guy I think is going to be the best player in the draft. I think D'Angelo Russell is the best player, long-term, professional, the way the game is going, spacing the floor, that kind of combo guard. That being said, you can't pass on a big man with skill. So you got to take Carl Anthony Towns, number one. I don't think it's a question. Uh, I, I think his game is way more polished than Okafor's. And the other thing I don't like about Jaleel's game is, and I know he, he was a little bit better in high school, but he's a 50% free throw shooter in the one-year sample size we have at the collegiate level. So that's a little bit of a turnoff for me when uh, whenever I see that. So that, if that's the tiebreaker, which I don't even think that's the tiebreaker, for me it's clearly Towns. Yeah, I, you know, I've been uh, high. We've had this discussion uh, before as the NCAA March Madness that wrapped up. The thing with Carl Anthony Towns, I think the thing that really sticks out besides all the skills, and one of the things, uh, you know, we shared the NoCoastBias.com uh, mock draft, and they had a lot of comparisons. And the one I really liked, I know you love the comparisons, was to Rasheed Wallace, his game. Uh, Rasheed could shoot, step out and shoot. He was a tenacious inside, had, like, you know, a post game to him, um, and then was a very good defender when engaged. And, you know, a lot of people talked about the time when he was in Portland. But when he moved to the Detroit Pistons team, and we saw what they did with back-to-back championship runs um, and, and finals uh, wins, I think Carl Anthony Towns can give you that. Maybe not the true full leader of your franchise, but when he was at Kentucky, he went into a situation where he went into a, a, a group of guys who had already been established, egos, were looking at, we're talking about like the Harrison twins and Poitras that were looking at NBA lottery picks, came in with four or five guys that were NBA lottery picks, and became the de facto leader of that team uh, through his just play and the way that he earned the respect of his teammates. And I, with that kind of quality in a player, combined with the talent that he shows and the ability to block shots, um, it's a no-brainer for me that, that you know, that's the kind of guy that you, you need uh, what he can do in Minnesota, I don't know. With, with Saunders, it's probably like the worst situation. Uh, the only good thing you look at it is he does have Kevin Garnett to uh, mentor him. Um, one quick thing, from my opinion, on uh, Jaleel Okafor, 
there's been some things that saying he's not the uh, he doesn't love the game of basketball as much. And one of the criticisms was he didn't really work on his body. He just wanted to maintain uh, playing basketball his year too. It's a lot. That's a that's a kind of fifty fifty thing with me. He has a criticism, but he's a young dude going through a very tough situation uh, with all the scrutiny being the number one player in college basketball all year long, being the number one player in high school that transition and then now trying to be the number one player or second pick in the NBA draft. Um, I'm not going to worry about that. I just, like you said, the free throw shooting and then the disappearing and only having two points in that first half against Wisconsin in the NCAA finals. There's just things that stick out. I, I like the comparison to Rashid. Uh, I think he's a little bit more physical than Rashid ever was and maybe a better defender for sure. Um, as far as a leader, I think you made a good point. You know, he came into that situation, like you said, at Kentucky, and he became kind of the leader at the end of the year. But you, it's really kind of an unknown quantity uh, or an unknown quality of his is what is his leadership roles. You'd have to probably almost dig back into high school and see what his role was on those teams. I'm sure at his talent level, he was a leader on the court. But I wonder what kind of leader he is in the locker room. Um, so, yeah, I agree uh, for the most part. I, I think the Timberwolves are in a little bit better position than maybe you're giving them credit for. And they got some talent out there. Georgie Dang's a good uh, – I mean, he's going to come into some good big, big men with Georgie Dang at the, the power forward or the center. They also locked up Pekcevic for, I think, three or four years. Now they may move him. You know, obviously, my guy Wiggins, um, Kevin Martin, uh, if Rubio can get healthy – They've got some some young pieces going forward. Now they're not ready to make the playoffs tomorrow, but I, I think they're down the road. If they add towns, actually, kind of like their their talent level. Yeah, it's not a question of talent level with Minnesota. To me, it's a question of leadership. Where it comes to Flip Saunders being the GM, the coach. I mean, yeah, you got that. He can't, right. he can't he can't bring in the right mix for chemistry. They can't decide on the style of basketball play. Like, it's just too many. Too many questions, and they're never going to get the answers with what's on. That's why, right. I, I mean, you know, I mean, we all know how I feel about Wiggins and whatnot, but it's not that so much. It's more of, like, the top to me, not the guys there, because I actually think Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, I mean, you, you just look at that on paper, and you tell me you're going to give me that to start an NBA franchise. you got to feel And like, Rubio. I mean, I mean, he's been hurt for two years, basically, so it's a lot based on his health. But when he's healthy, he's a dynamic point guard. Yeah, so – um, you, uh, you, you spot on with everything you said about D'Angelo Russell. I think we have a strong consensus there, of course, being with an Ohio bias. Um, we had the pleasure of watching this kid play for one year with Ohio State. And, uh, you know, the, the passing ability that he has and then the ability to shoot the three so quickly, um, I think and if people don't know that he can actually finish around their realm. Uh, the stronger that he gets, that's the thing I think that will make his game the most dangerous. He's going to get smarter. He's going to shoot better. He's going to pass better, uh, which is, is almost at a high, as highest level that it can be. But the stronger that he gets, his physical strength, I think, then will change the ability. Because I can almost see his game um, translating kind of like the way Mark Jackson used to play. Uh, and him being able to back guards down and take people in the post and then a pass off of that, too, will just be awesome. Uh, I don't think there's a question about his skill set. I think he's like the guy as far as what you would kind of build a 2015 going forward player at the entry level. The one thing I question a little bit is 
you know, and this has this goes to say about any eighteen year old, but he how he grows into that man. How he is he going to be tough enough? You know, I, I, I question a little bit. Is he going to be able to take the pounding? Is he going to be able to take these adults coming at him and challenging him physically? And is he going to punch back or is he going to kind of lay back? So we'll see what happens with that. But to me, that's the only question about this guy's game. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, we kind of seen uh, it takes a couple years for guys like that, even if we're talking about uh, Harrison Barnes or Kyrie Irving uh, that we saw with the Cavs. Like, it takes years uh, for that to develop and that strength, you know, to be able to play at that high level. Uh, but there's no question. Now, my, the thing that I want to talk about is fit, though. If he goes to Philadelphia, I think it's a nightmare situation. I know that's easy to say, um, but it's just one thing. I mean, I don't even think going to the Lakers is a great situation, but he will probably not be forced to start because they're in love with Jordan Clarkson right now. Um, but I also think that's a weird situation because the Lakers are just they're, – they're so dysfunctional and don't have an idea of really where they're trying to go as a franchise either. Um, we know this situation very well being Cavs fans. This is a question that the Cavs had over the last five years picking at the top of the draft. So it's not like we're talking about something that we're not uh, familiar with. But um, I think the best situation actually is if he could go to a New York where he could create shots for Carmelo Anthony or be that second uh, offensive threat or second unit offensive threat as he's growing into his game in the New York Knicks systems where they will probably have plenty of time for him to play considering they're probably going to only win uh, less than 20 games, uh, 21 games. Uh, I think there's a lot of question marks after number one, and trades are going to have a lot to do with it, and teams' future trades are going to have to do with it. You know, you look at a team like Los Angeles at the number two pick, and, you know, you got Kobe Bryant there for the next two years maybe, and, you know, he's going to want to win. So do they make a move where they move a guy like Clarkson in a deal with Aldridge and then take uh, Russell if they keep the pick even? You know, that two pick might have to be part of a sign-and-trade with uh, Portland for Aldridge and the Knicks, uh, you know, they're sitting there at four going, geez, oh man, we're not going to get any of the top three players, but then you never know what Philly's going to do. Philly might go with the Euro and add another two years to their plan for all wins. So I think there's a lot of intrigue here at the top that's not really getting uh, a a lot of play nationally. Yeah, I know Denver's really interested in trying to trade that for him. But that fit might actually work out. But the best fit to me is somehow he could find his way. And Philadelphia might, you know, they traded Michael Carter with him. They might draft him and trade him if he could somehow get to the Indiana Pacers. I know they're picking at 11. But if they would somehow be able to package a deal after draft day for him and get him to Indiana, I mean, seeing him play with a Paul George in that system, uh, you know, uh, know, uh, he would automatically, he could play the combo guard or, you know, play with Rodney Stuckey, I mean. Solomon Hill, I mean David West, you could see him flourish in that kind of uh, kind of a system. I think that's just the you know, and that's pine the sky. I know because they're picking so late. But I mean, you you're hoping for D'Angelo Russell that he gets into a situation where uh, he actually can be on a team that competes and grow his game and help him get that strength that we're talking about. All right, you have the ticket. Yeah, yeah. You want to get in there or anything else? No, sorry, I was about to tell you that. Oh, yeah. The Cavs are picking at number 24. Um, Jake, I know it's some guy, I, I know it's one guy you're, you're real high on, uh, but 
and it's a guy you probably think I wasn't that high on. Uh, but we start first with the Cleveland native, Shaker Heights own Terry Rozier, has been rumored. Uh, you know, the 6'2 guard from Louisville. Uh, comparisons to Dwayne Wade, even though not in size, but his game, he has a mid-range game. Not an outside shooter, but nation's defender, can defend 94 feet. Um, also mentioned Justin Anderson, the pretty much all-around scoring threat for the Virginia Cavaliers. He was their offense for them last year. I am actually high on him. I think if he hadn't hurt his hand, that Virginia would have been able to go a lot further. Uh, that's why I wanted to high on him in the tournament. And then, of course, your guy, Stanley Johnson of the Arizona Wildcats, uh, who now has shot up to the draft, who is looking to be probably taking the early team. Um, I think the Arizona Wildcats, Stanley Johnson, even though he did not show up well in that final game against Ohio State in the NCAA tournament, I think his potential also as a defender and uh, a guy that can cover 94 feet uh, could be something that could help the Cavs definitely next year as he was forced into play like we saw this year because of injury. Yeah, those are all intriguing names. Uh, you, you bring in the guy from Virginia, and he doesn't need to learn a new nickname, and he's got a familiar face in Joe Harris. So I, that makes sense to me uh, to do for just that reason. But, uh, yeah, like you said, it doesn't look like Stanley Johnson's going to make it down to 24. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll ask your opinion on it. I don't know what I think of him yet, but a guy that's slipping down a lot of draft boards is Sam Decker. If he was there at 24, is that someone you're interested in? I love Sam Decker. I love Sam Decker's game. I think he I, – I think he, and that was a name that I was going to get to later as a guy that I think that we might as well talk about now. I think Sam Decker is a guy that will make it in the NBA. Um, I just I, – I think he, he, he is – I think, to me, he's the most well-rounded athletic player in this game. He can shoot. He can finish. He can handle the rock. I mean, he can take it off the dribble. And he, coming out of the system in Wisconsin with Bo Ryan, understands basketball, understands where to be on the court. And you know he's coachable. So you get all those things. And he was a leader on that team along with Frank Kaminsky, but he was the one who was screaming at those guys on the court, especially when they lost Trayvon Jackson. I mean, you, you, hit the, the, you hit a button where I was going already with Sam Decker. Absolutely. If he's there, I would love to see him take it by the cat because he, he would be instant offense. And that's, what, that's the only thing about the three guys that I've mentioned other than Justin Anderson. Rozier and, and, and Johnson are kind of slashing uh, guys that score – uh, Sam Decker, you could give him the ball, and he could actually help your offense get some points, get buckets. The only, I mean, those are all good points and reasons I would want Sam Decker. You know, uh, on the flip side, just to play devil's advocate, you know, he was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school, and he really sat the first two years at Wisconsin. Now uh, you, we can get into whether that's Bo Ryan, you know, wanting so guys Kaminsky. there. But Frank wasn't a highly recruited player like Decker was. That's the difference. You know, so I wonder with a guy who had that much talent that early and was highly recruited and that he sat a couple of years, I just wonder why, I guess. And the well, other thing Mr. I – He was Mr. West Coast basketball. Um, I, I think that was – and this is just me. This is a Bo Ryan thing. Because remember, Trayvon Jackson didn't start. That's what I was wondering. Is it okay. is it is it more of a Bo Bo or a Bo Ryan thing, or is it something about Sam Decker that says he just wasn't ready? You know, it takes him a minute. Because I have that would flashbacks be, that, of Keith Van Horn. That that's the guy I, I, that comes to my head. It, it, 
Uh, and I love Keith Van Horn's game. This is the thing about that. That's like one of those mysteries. You need a draft day investigator to go out there to Wisconsin to see if anybody right. stayed at his attended his birthday party. I mean, nobody knows the mystique and the magic that happens out there at the Cole Center and what the hell <laughs> that Wizards Bo Ryan is doing. But the guy's doing something right out there. Um, and but the thing about that is, no matter what it is, um, could that built his character up? If you want to take it either way, it either built his character up sure. or Bro Ryan broke his character and made him a better person. Either way, I think he comes out better for whatever that situation was because it I, made merch. I agree with with all of that. I just I'm just curious as to why that was. And no, it's a great, I know, it's a great, I know it's a great you question. Don't. Yeah, I got no answers. Yeah, it's a great question. Right. Though. Yeah, I have no answer to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you you think about that. You know, Sam Decker. Um, yeah, let, let's talk about some of those other guys going down there later. Uh, a couple other guys that I would like for the Cavs if they had to take Delon Wright. You know, I was high on him from Utah. Uh, you know, his brother Darrell Wright, great shooter for Portland. And uh, I, I think Delon Wright, his game, he's a great defender. He has to get a little more polished. It'd be something that we probably see him play half the year in the D League and then come up for the Cavs for the second part of the season. Uh, Johnson Holmes from Texas is a six-eight small forward who is a flat-out tenacious scorer. But down there with Rick Barnes, everybody seems to underachieve. So uh, he was on a, on a tear early in the season. Something happened. The whole thing broke down. He did not play well in the second half of the season. But he has the talent. I mean, he can shoot, can finish, is strong around the rim, can rebound. Uh, and then Mighty Joe Young up there in the Pacific Northwest with Oregon Dust. Uh, he's a 6'2 point guard, but the guy just can flat-out score. We know he dropped 40. An attorney. I mean, he got forty in the against uh, in the Pac-12 tourney uh, against AZ. I mean, uh, you know, I love Joe Young. So it, here, here's the only thing with those type of players: we got enough guys to put the ball in the basket. You know, we need we need guys that can play without the ball. Uh, guys, unless you're taking a backup point guard. You know, we need a, a wing that can contribute defensively. You know, I, I, I'm not looking for a score. And I, I don't think David Griffin is either. That's why I think Rozier is such a great fit. Uh, Stanley Johnson is such a great fit because they don't rely on their scoring as their calling card. Well, see, that's where we're in a disagreement because I think the Cavs do need scoring. I think that was the biggest problem they had coming off that bench. They could not score and they need somebody that can run offense. Um, you know, love Matthew Delavadova, what he did and whatnot, but we either need somebody that can help bring the ball up and help him get the Cavs into an offense. And get, they have to find – and here's something that yeah, I'll just give a little precursor. We'll get into it on our main podcast. But I think the Cavs almost need to develop a second unit for David Black that is a Euro-style unit that he can have flow with a true offense. That way, LeBron, Kyrie, Love, everybody can step off the court. And if you got Mozgov out there or Verja, whoever's got second center out there, with Delhi and everything else, these guys literally, they could actually play and beat some of these NBA teams. I mean, you saw that's what the Spurs used to do. You saw Pop used to sit those guys, and they would come out, Gary Neal and those guys would help, you know, knock down shots and be on the verge of beating people, you know, or, like, knocking people out when they set all the Spurs players. That's what the Cavs need. They need a true second sure. unit that can outscore somebody, and that that's just my opinion. Well, no, I, I, I agree with the the second unit needs overhaul for sure. Um, for me, though, I, I don't think there's a rookie at 24 that's going to come in and make an instant impact, and that's what we're offensively 
And that's what we're really looking for, trying to win a championship here, a rookie that can come in and make a difference in some other directions. And then all those other needs you talked about, they're going to be filled through either free agency or trade. Uh, it, it, I, I don't. I really don't think we can invest in a guy that we're looking that we're looking at to project as a number two or three scorer on this team a couple of years down the road. No, but, no, no. That's not what. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm just saying these guys can score, and that's a commodity that is very precious in the NBA, uh, especially when right. you're looking for a guy in the draft. You want something that you can quantifiably say this guy does well, especially when we're talking about right. And that's a number twenty-four spot. So that's what I'm exactly. Neil Young, he's a yeah. scorer. You know what I'm saying? Right. Johnson Holmes, scorer and just defender, two-way player. DeLon Wright, you know, scorer, two-way defender. The other thing about the guys that, you know, that we've mentioned and we've been batting about, the one best thing about all these guys, they don't just do one thing. Like they, they, And that's the thing. Like, on my whole point with the Cavs, I don't want them to draft a scorer. I just want them to draft somebody that can contribute. You know, when I say contribute, I you know, it's kind of what Della Vadova did. But if you overextend him, you know, that person can't do more than they can. Uh, can. But can they make a contribution? And I think Della Vadova is the best example of that. You know, like you, you need a guy that can come in and just give you something that you weren't getting when you bring him off that bench. And I think those guys, if, if you can take any of them, uh, no matter what part of their game is, they can give you something. Uh, and the one thing, we go back to Rozier, the one part about his game, we talk about defense. That guy averaged two steals a game for Louisville, and I think that's, that's something what we else. Need. You know, like, so if you put Rozier and Delavadova back there, they would be, you know, tearing up that backup point guards for other teams. And that's just something else. That's another edge. You know, like, you know, so the Cavs know they're coming off the bench. They got the two most nations backcourt defenders in the league. You know, that, that's teams dreading that. You know, like when they see that going to the second quarter or that late first quarter when LeBron and Kyrie come off the court. They know they're about to see 94, uh, you know, 94 feet of hell, you know, like the old Nolan Richardson if you have Rose and Dolan Dover. And I think that's a great point. You talked about the second unit, you know, doing scoring. But when I think of my second unit, I'm really just hoping uh, when my second unit guys are in there, I want to stay even. And what gets me to stay even the most is probably defense. Uh, so that's – and I think we're obviously we're on the same page with Rozier and that sort of thing. That's why I think it's so important to get somebody in there for that second unit on the that has defensive pedigree. I, if he scores, it's a bonus. But he's got to he, he's got to be able to move his feet and he's got to be able to contribute defensively, or else I got no I got no use for him. Come playoff time, you know, I'm looking for the anti Joe Harris. Anti Joe Harris. Yeah, Bizarro Joe Harris, the opposite okay. of Joe Harris. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. We talk about some of these Euros, and I and I got to give credit to this. Uh, the Chicago Bulls did a great thing in last year's draft, um, and this is the kind of thing that you're looking for when I, we talk about guys that contribute. They had the greatest draft pick, you know, probably of last year's draft that was a name Wiggins or Parker, and you know who that was? Wasn't your boy McBucket? It was Nikola Mirotic. Mirotic he was right. a late round and pick, and that, I mean, that's the exact guy that we're looking for. So, I mean, the Cavs yeah. might have to go over. No, we're pick. not, because Merrick just can't defend. We saw that. I, I, we got to get a guy in there yeah. that is going to contribute defense. Yeah, I mean, Merrick just defended well. He was, I mean, he was trying to defend LeBron James. Let's be honest. That's that's the matchup he got. Yeah. When he gave it, that was the matchup he had. I hear you. I I, I get your point though. Yeah. The, it's, it's I mean, he was defending well, and he was rebounding well. Like he literally was defending well when they were in the um, shit, who was they playing? 
the first round series. The Bucks they play Toronto. No, that's not the Bulls. Bulls play the Pacers. The Bulls play the Bucks. The Bulls play the Bucks. Bucks. That's so it. you're yeah. saying he he defended well in that series and like yeah you because know, he can't stay on the floor if he can't defend well, yeah. especially for Thibodeau. You know, like he yeah. he played well. He Mirkus yeah. played well. So yeah, you know, that's that's here. No, I mean. Um, right. Other guys that I just like in the draft, I mean, when we come down to it, uh, you know, the Cavs might not be able to get these guys, but these are guys that I think will be good pros. Love Devin Booker, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats, Trey Lyles, uh, you know, Bobby Porter's also all SEC guys. I think Frank the Tank, like you said, so if, uh, we were talking about Sam Duck and what Paul Ryan does up there. I think Frank and Mississippi's going to be good. Um, I think he's going to be real good. Well, I think, he's, I, I, I think he's the type of guy that is, would be – perfect because his shot travels you know you can bring him in for a three like a five or seven minute stretch and he can knock down a couple shots and then get back to the bench until he gets to whatever his role is until he gets more defined in the nba so i think whoever gets him is going to get a pretty good player and some immediate impact at that position in the draft it's hard to get immediate impact Exactly, and that's all you're asking for guys that can contribute. Once again, that's and that's my biggest thing with the Cavs. We know they might not even uh, they might they can't trade the pick on draft night, you know, but they might trade it actually, and uh, we'll get into some of those ins and outs of scenarios. But uh, you know, hoping the Cavs can not waste this pick. I you know how I felt last year with the Joe Harris pick because that roster spot, no matter what happens, everything else. Every, some people actually said, well, why not put Joe Harris in? Clearly, he was not ready to play, and he was taking up a roster spot that we could have used for somebody else if we had to take better. So, uh, you know, there's guys out there that could have helped contribute, and I'm hoping that they have. You know, here's the thing that I would say about this, and we see if there's anybody else you want to talk about in the NBA draft, it's fine, but I feel confident, like you said, what David Griffin's going to do. I actually, unlike last year, going in that way, considering everything happened after the fact that we had did that one podcast, I didn't feel any confidence in the Cavs front office of David Griffin. I actually have pulled the whole full 180, and David Griffin, we trust. I am all in behind the Cavs. Now, as long as you just, uh, I'm waiting for the 180 on Wiggins, and we'll be all set from last year. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, that guy. That guy <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, 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 time will tell. Uh, 16 games. 16 games. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the, guy, the greatest thing since life for uh, 16 games. Uh, anybody else that you want to talk about? Again? Oh, I will say that the Cavs might – anything, I'll, I'll say that for later. Now, the only other thing I would say in regarding the Cavs would be they do have a kind of an advantage in the overseas basketball market. You know, with the experience of David Blatt, and let's not also forget that Big Z, Zagurisov, Dugoskis is taking care of all the the overseas scouting, and he has plenty of arms to reach and, and places to go to find these guys. So up against the San Antonio Spurs, I think our organization is as prepared as any to to have a true reading on the what the European market is. Absolutely. And that is a great point. That is a great point. And I think that's the greatest asset we have in, uh, in Coach David Blatt and, like you said, with uh, Big Z in the front office. Um, yeah, excited about the NBA draft. You know, uh, really think that it's going to uh, – I think we're going to see more movement from NBA teams as far as uh, roster movement. We've already seen some. We'll talk about that on the radio show. But I think that's going to be the real thing about the NBA draft, not so much where the guys go that are drafted, but how those teams will look after, you know, a couple of days after the draft. 
that awkward picture where they're wearing the hat of the wrong team forever and posterity. Exactly. So enjoy the NBA draft. We will be back with a regular show. And as always, go Cavs, all in CLE. Uh, we're hoping that the Cavs uh, GM David Griffin gets this sleep and eats his meetings that day. Still all in. You took the you took the wind out of my sails going at, I was I was coming with Sam Decker late. You know what, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I was gonna go into a whole thing on Sam Decker and later. Like that was gonna be my oh. like yes, Sam talking about oh, Sam sorry. <laughs> he was gonna be my diamond in the rough, but he just threw me off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, dude. Oh, uh, that's fine. I think just because we got to watch him a lot, like too, like we might be, I mean, a little biased, yeah, you know right? Because he's sort, he's sort of Buckeyes up all the time too. Mm-hmm. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with DNJ. Show forty-two, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. The Cavs lost the NBA Finals, um, but we're not depressed. We are actually obsessed with what's happening with this Cavs off season. IMD. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see bus. The ride has just begun, Cavs fans. In this uh, podcast, we will be talking about uh, your Cleveland Cavs, but we're going to finish up with them in this podcast. We're going to first talk about uh, the Indians and what is happening there, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, a familiar face to Ohio State fans has now joined the roster. We'll be talking CBJ and the off-season moves and how they're getting ready for the upcoming NHL draft. Uh, we'll be talking some MMA and a disappointment with another huge main event that will not succeed. Um, and then we will talk about the Battle of Ohio that was put on by Premier Boxing uh, between Showtime Sean Porter and Adrian, the problem Broner. Uh, we will then, of course, talk about the U.S. Open and the great win by George Spieth. And then we're going to get into all things Cavs and uh, talk about the full season and put it in, put the perspective, put everything into perspective for you from our, of course, with an Ohio bias point of view. Uh, Jake, we want to talk about it just because it's the biggest news. The Pete Rose betting on his own game as a player and manager, uh, the so-called ledger or whatever paper evidence that was found uh, surfacing on the outside the lines report. Your thoughts on Pete Rose and now where he stands as possibly ever being in the Hall of Fame? You know what this did is it took a kind of a casual observer of the Pete Rose saga and shined a big spotlight on it and exposed all the facts and truths to what is actually going on and what has happened. And as a fan of Pete Rose, it's hard for me to separate the two. But there's no way you can put him in the Hall of Fame, and there's no way you can put him back into baseball right now. The the mob connections alone are enough to keep him out of baseball, in my opinion. I think it's the influence of Cincinnati hosting the All-Star game and that Pete Rose was going to be some part or play some even small role in the MLB's biggest showcase. Uh, and it's like somebody's got to axe the grind with this guy because this information just leaking at this time is very convenient to tear this man down another time. 
Now, did the he bring it all on himself? Of course. Good. The timing is definitely uh, suspicious. Let's, there's no doubt about that, that somebody had some information and was waiting to do it before this All-Star game, which is kind of another slap to Pete Rose. But when you lay out all the facts and know all the facts, this guy really doesn't deserve a break. I, I, I'm of the opinion of this, and it's not the uh, popular one, but, you know, I think the MLB baseball, I, I think the Baseball Hall of Fame already is painted, in my opinion, just because of the simple fact that people that vote people in. The years that we've seen them pass over guys that were deserving, um, you know, it, it, it disgusts me. And I know that's a whole different conversation, but that, that, that part of it to me, the Baseball Hall of Fame has lost its luster in my eyes for a long time ago, before even we discussed Pete Rose. We now talk about the steroid, that's, the, that's a whole other thing, but it helps take a little bit more of that luster off of uh, the, the what used to be the Baseball Hall of Fame to me. The fact now that Pete, this information comes out, um, Pete Rose knows he has no role in, in, in professional baseball to play anymore whatsoever. I, I, I agree with that totally. But to not honor this man as someone that made a contribution to this game on the field and also showcase the worst part of what you can do in baseball, um, I think that's the part of why he should be in the Hall of Fame for both sides of the story to be told. Yes, he was a great baseball player, but he became part of the one of the most negative black eyes in baseball history. But is it the worst one? No. The fact that Major League Baseball allowed steroid users to go on and play for so many years and taint the game in that way, and then now have them honored and people parade them around as we see greats who, in the game who did none of that and had more pressure on them, you know, and I'm not even going to get to a whole thing, but it, it just, like, that's the kind of, that's the part of it to me that, you know, it just, and once again, it just, I, 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 I just, it makes me want to wash my hands of the whole situation, not so much wash my hands, but it just makes me disgusted by the whole thing. So I can't go on a, a huge tirade about Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I definitely can't just dismiss it. And I just, particularly the Hall of Fame, I agree that he shouldn't have any role in baseball anymore, but I think his story needs to be told some way for baseball uh, history uh, better than it's being told right now, especially showcased by the NFL. Well, I mean, Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame. He's just not enshrined into the Hall of Fame. So he's very, very good point. That, that, that's, a, that, that's a very good point. That's a very good he, point. He, his story, it's not like they erased him off the map. And what I'll say about the Hall of Fame for Pete Rose is, if, if, let's take away the newest evidence, but if the guy showed some remorse and honesty and kind of tried to change his ways, but he's into none of that. He, he signed autographs at the MGM in Las Vegas. So it'd be like an alcoholic working at a brewery. It, it just doesn't work. And from what I'm hearing, the biggest thing for Pete getting into the Hall of Fame is that he could put HOF after his name on baseballs and sell for more. This guy was into the mob for over $200,000. I know that for a fact, and it probably is more than that. Uh, I mean, you, when the mob has a mortgage on you, you're going to do whatever you got to do, whether that's throwing games, sitting players, doing whatever you need to do to keep yourself alive. And we, we, we've all heard the lines. It doesn't matter if you make it, if you're a pro ball player or a garbage man, you owe them all money, you owe money and you got to pay it back. 
and there's different ways of paying it back. And Pete put the game in a situation of compromise where the integrity of the game was definitely in question. Because even on the game, we could say that he never bet on his own team, and he said that he never bet as a player, but now we find out that he bet as a player. You know, it's just a cycle of lies that you don't know what you can believe. At this point, he's a pathological liar. And I just don't think there's any place in the Hall of Fame for him right now. Or in baseball, or anywhere. Just stay in Las Vegas and sign the autographs. As a player, I respect the hell out of him. He's the all-time hit king. He's one of the best. He's Charlie Hustle. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of different things working there. Yeah, I think it means more to him than it means to anybody else. Uh, and I think he has the respect, like you said, of all baseball fans everywhere for what he did on the field. And, uh, you know, if I, if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't even, be, I wouldn't even want to deal with it anymore. But uh, right. he has he has pursued it. he has pursued this, so he has brought the scrutiny on himself time and time again. Right, that's all one I last say on that point. Just one last thing on the integrity of the game. You know, it, we're so far removed of what happened in 1919 with the Black Sox. It was the same scenario. The mob had money over guys' heads and basically bought a World Series, and it almost brought down the whole sport. So, is it the worst crime against humanity? No. But this is double murder lobbing off your head for a baseball player. So in that context, I mean, it is. It's a lot of hypocrisy when we talk about the integrity of the game when it comes to what baseball has to deal with, with steroids and they're still going through now. So, I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to add that discussion right now. I'm just saying, like, you know, that we throw around terms like that. It's just like, for me, you know, there's a lot more to be said for the battle that went on um, with him and uh, – but see, like, I mean, yeah, it, it's it, it's just it, it, it's a whole a, a whole another can of worms. Um, but like you said, he is in the Hall of Fame for all his other accomplishments, and uh, maybe that's where we leave it at. Maybe that's where we leave it. At. So uh, we'll be talking about the Indians, who we wish had a uh, mob mortgage over their heads, because maybe they'd be playing and getting some more wins, especially when it comes against the Detroit Tigers. This is with an Ohio bias the podcast for real fans of D and Jake. We will see you on the other side, talking trash. If Pete Rose was a better gambler, he wouldn't have been in all these problems. <laughs> did you see the? Did you see the his betting flips? That's what I was about to say. Anybody that ever like gambled well never really. You know what I'm saying like he wouldn't have trouble if he was a gambler. I mean, like, that's, that's, oh that's my god, that that was his biggest problem is he was bad at gambling. What he did was he was betting on everything but baseball, but he was getting his ass kicked. So yeah, to he make had, some he was money to go to baseball, yeah, he went to okay. baseball to make some money. And uh, yeah, he, he would bet. He's betting two thousand dollars a game minute, you know. And it was always around two thousand. And, and that's back in the late seventies, eighties. Yeah, 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 that's, like, like, that's eighty-five. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's betting two grand a game. Like, you know what I'm right. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I what I do wonder though is in this day and age of you know classifying gambling addiction and all the other addictions, I wonder if it would have been handled or may not handled, but maybe he would have approached it differently, knowing of the social acceptance of it actually being classified as a disease. Huh? That's a very good question. Yeah. But I think that's when you get to lying and everything else. I mean, that's where the, that, that side of it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's where like, he's lying and 
denying it. Well, and I, I mean, that part of it, that's the part where you have a hard part making an argument for the guy. Yeah, like that's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Right. It's like at what point is it, okay, Pete, enough's enough. You know, how many times can you back out of your story? There's no way he did not bet against it. He bet against the Reds. It's out there. And if he didn't bet against the Reds, it's a sign to every other one of those mobsters that knows him to go ahead and bet against the Reds. Well, let's talk about a team that needs to find a way to bet uh, on themselves. Uh, The Cleveland Indians got to win. Against the Tigers in a nooner, thank God that uh, Verlander had a little uh, tweak. Um, and he really needed a W, and uh, Cabrera was also out of the lineup. Uh, the, but I mean, where, where do these Cleveland Indians go right now? Jason Kipnis is having probably the best year he's ever had, and they can't capitalize on it. Uh, they got great pitching, but they cannot hit the ball. Um, is it time to fire hitting coach? Do we get Jason Giambiani back in here, or do we just? Uh, have a dollar dog night every night for the rest of the season. That way fans can at least enjoy a hot dog and be, you know, that be their entertainment seeing who can pull off the best Joey Chestnut at. Well, first of all, I'm all for a dollar hot dog night every night. That would be, that would be epic. Uh, let's do fireworks and hot dogs every night and see what kind of attendance we get. doesn't matter what kind of product you put on the field. Um, isn't it funny that it's those giveaways that draw the big crowds? <laughs> it's like if you just did a big giveaway, you'd have a sold out stadium every night. I don't know what the cost now of that doing that is, but <laughs> um, anyways, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. The Indians can't hit. Well, maybe that's because Ryan Rayburn is your cleanup hitter. That might have something to do with it. Um, they just don't have the bats. They, Carlos, I don't know what to make of Carlos Santana other than he is what he is. He's a mediocre player with a little bit of pop. Uh, Doesn't play, I mean, plays an okay first base. Jan Gomes has been hurt all year. Um, You know, we wasted so much money on the Bourne and Swisher contract that we have no flexibility. And it's like you got this pitching and you're spinning the wheels because you can't scratch a run. It's just absolutely frustrating. And you're wasting a when, great season by Kip, which is also frustrating. When do we get some actual change from not so much with the roster, but at some point somebody has got to roll in that Indians front office, just for the simple fact of giving some bread to the to the masses. Yeah, it's not going to happen as long as Mark Shapiro is, uh, in, is the president. He's as long as he's the president, he's going to have his guy Antonetti there, uh, and their argument is going to be that we're in a small market and we're doing the best we can. And you know what? Uh, if Dick Jacobs was here, maybe that wouldn't have been enough. But with Dolan, I don't think he really cares except for trying to save money and get butts in the seat. And, I mean, you know, speaking of eating contests, you know, I'm hearing stories about Terry Francona eating 20 popsicles, man. I mean, God damn, man. Come on, Chino. But, you know, I, I, I mean, it's all falling apart. I'm hearing, like, you know, after the game the other day, you know, uh, Jason Kittens is like, yeah, these guys are walking around hanging their head. I mean, the morale of the team is low. You know, like, we got the, the manager having popsicle eating contests. I mean, this, this is worse than whatever we watch when we watch the reruns of Major League. Yeah, the only thing I can think of right now to do 
is, is you got to move someone and, and take peanuts for them. And whether that's Santana, uh, Santana would be my my personal choice, I guess, because I said his name four times. But uh, you know, you got if you got to eat Bourne's contract, I don't know what you do. And you can't keep running him out there. He's not producing. He's a dead spot in the order. So is Swisher. It's not like the minor leagues are budding with uh, a bunch of Chicago Cubs uh, prospects to plug in. It's it's a bad situation right now. And uh, we better hope Francisco Lindor uh, works out. Because if not, then we really don't have uh, the next great Indian uh, in our system at the moment. Well, Lindor did hit a home run. That's good to see. It's becoming very hard to watch other than seeing Jason Kittness out hit his whole team, uh, you know, uh, every game in and game out. So, you know, it's and he comes up with no one on base. The whole Every time he comes up, it seems like no one's on base. Um, but, you know, i got to give credit to the pitchers who are somehow keeping their focus and coming out and having great starts. I don't care if these guys – whatever you read, the, the final, you know, uh, score is, is not indicative of what's happening in these games. They might have one bad inning, but these guys are playing, knowing that they're coming out there and not getting any run support. They know they're not going to get any run support. So, you know, they might lose focus for a half an inning or, you know, a couple of at-bats and then, like, might give up some runs. But, I mean, these are games – I think the Indians have the worst record in the MLB for, like, two to three run games. That's got to kill you as a pitcher when you're on that staff, knowing that you're having, like, the best years. And, I mean, we all know Trevor Bauer is not, you know, uh, being silent about it. So. Yeah, and you know what? It, it messes with pitchers. If, if you're a pitcher and you got you know you're not going to get any run support and you got to go out there and be perfect, it's hard, much harder to pitch trying to be perfect than trying to pitch free and easy and, and doing your thing. And we, I think we're seeing it with some with the young pitchers, whether that was Salazar needing to be perfect in that inning and giving up the five runs after the, the botched uh, double play to end the inning, or whether it's Cookie or uh, Trevor Bauer giving, you know, just trying to be too perfect and then getting disgusted. And then every time you lose a game, you get more disgusted, and it just mounts up, and it's just a vicious cycle. So it, it, we're not going to have good pitching for very long if this keeps up offense. I guarantee that. No, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, we're 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 holding on for hope. Maybe the Indians straighten it out, and we know the All Star break is coming up. Maybe the All Star break is just coming up at the perfect time, and the Indians can find a way to become uh, second second half season heroes. You know, I mean, that's the only thing we can hope for right now. And the like, stupid maybe thing is, and maybe we get a deal done. You know, right? Well, the stupid thing is, it's the end of June, and really, you look at it, they're a ten game winning streak from being right in this thing for a wild card and 10 game winning streaks, they happen during the season. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really down on them right now. And I, I like you said, what Kipna said with the head hanging and stuff like that, that's why I'm down. I, I, you can see the body language out there and, and it's not good right now. And at some point, Tito has to answer for some of that. Well, maybe he can share some of those obstacles, you know, instead of eat them all. Uh, as always, Royal Tribe, believe me. Those, guy, uh, those guys need some sugar. <laughs> some sugar and some amphetamines. Well, we go from the Cleveland Indians to the Cleveland Browns, uh, and the tone ain't going to get that much better, ladies and gentlemen. 
But the Cleveland Browns added Ohio State quarterback Terrell Pryor to the roster. Uh, another notable add, and it's good to see uh, Tayshawn Gibson signed his uh, offer for this year, so he'll be playing even though he deserves a new contract. Uh, you know, um, And then we heard from Johnny Manziel, uh, who stated everything that you've heard from Johnny Manziel before, and he's not going to try to be a distraction this year. Um, the Cleveland Browns, your thoughts? We've heard some good things out of training camp with the rookies. Um, your, your thoughts on what you, you've heard so far from the Cleveland Browns this offseason? Well, let me cover the Columbus part of this real quick. So they're, they're doing their family night down here in Columbus August 7th. And as we all know, the Browns signed Terrell Pryor. Well, Terrell Pryor has an issue where he's not allowed in any of the Ohio State athletic facilities. So the Cleveland Browns actually had to get permission from Ohio State to get to allow for Terrell Pryor to play in that game August 7th. I can't imagine that scenario has ever happened before in the history of the NFL, but I digress on that. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, we'll see Terrell Pryor possibly uh, uh, see what he can give at wide receiver. Um, you know, a lot of jokes have been made that he might be the second-best quarterback on this roster right now. Uh, you know, people are talking about, you know, they, they're worried about uh, what was the one. Well, he, he, he tweeted out the one video from when he was with the Bengals, and that, yeah, that got a whole lot of people up in arms. And people are worried about him possibly, you know, spreading the secrets of the Browns offense. I don't know what secrets you're going to have, you know, when well, you Johnny Manziel and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this quarterback depth chart, you know, like if the offense secrets get out there, God bless it, you know, what, what, you know, what's really going to happen, you know? Well, I, I think there, you, you kind of hit on part of the reason why I think the Browns brought him in is he was in Cincinnati's camp the week before. It, it doesn't hurt, you know, any information you can glean, no matter how, uh, diluted or how it's presented, I, I think is the only thing is what is what you do. You know, it's straight out of the Bill Belichick playbook. Um, as far as his talent, I mean, he's self-proclaimed can't catch. So you know, I, I'm not expecting him to to be a regular rotation guy. But what he can do, and especially with the new rolling where you, you get the ball at the one yard line or kick the long extra point, he may be a type of player like what they brought Tebow in for, possibly a two-point specialist, a short yardage specialist. I could see that sort of thing coming with how the quarterback position is in Cleveland right now. You need a yardstick TP under center and let him dive. Well, the one the one good shiny note, your guy, one of the guys you were high on in the, uh, from the Browns draft this year, Duke Johnson has looked unreal uh, in the small footage that we've seen leaking out from Berea. Um, you know, he had one pass where he caught out the back was just straight. I don't know who that DB was. He just straight spoke somebody out on the edge uh, to take the ball in on a 20-yard real route. So, uh, I mean, that's one thing that we can look forward to, seeing how the Browns use their running backs coming up this season. Yeah, if he can if he can stay healthy first and then learn to chip block, I, I think he's going to be a very valuable tool on passing downs, um, whether he's in the backfield by himself or with another back. And as far as the backs go, I really think it, we got to figure out it's fine to have a rotation, but there's got to be a guy that's getting 60% of his carries or 55% of the carries. And I think that guy is the Cleveland Crow. I think I can say Crowell showed me everything I wanted to see last year 
to for him to be the guy going into camp and have to be unseated. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, just hear, hearing also great things about the Browns defense. Uh, and I think that's going to be the thing that we will, like most years, uh, and some years we lament it, but like last year, we'll be excited to see. I mean, I think this 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 defensive side of the ball is going to be pretty exciting to watch. Um, and uh, that's what we'll be really cheering for and seeing how they keep teams, uh, you know, and constant keep pressure on these constant teams uh, coming through this season. So, Excited about the Browns, as always, though, Browns. You got anything else on the Browns? 13-3. to three. Get ready for it all year. Yeah, as always, though, Browns. Browns, uh, dog pound forever. <laughs> woof, 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 woof. I'm all That's correct, yeah. All right, we're coming back. We're going to be talking your Columbus Blue Jackets. The NHL draft, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, is coming up as well. So we'll be talking about some of the off-season moves by your Columbus Blue Jackets on the other side. Step, step off your ledges. We're coming back with some decent stock. <laughs> <laughs> we're hitting the ice, Jake. NHL draft. Are you excited? The Columbus Blue Jackets have the number eight pick, but actually there is some excitement happening. Columbus Blue Jackets. It's, it's being rumored that they might try to move up to number three to take uh, to get the Coyotes pick and might move uh, Reichel. Your thoughts on uh, if that possibility even happens? Yeah, um, that would be a good move because after uh, the top two guys, the, the the next set of guys, and especially the number one overall defenseman that the name's escaping me right now, is an all-star player for the next 10 years. So, if they can get up to three, I think it's worth doing. But even if they stand pat, they're going to get a good player. This is a very loaded draft. Uh, and from all things I've heard on it and read on it, um, it, 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 if you're inside the top ten, you got a really good chance to get a, a nice player that's going to contribute for you for a long time. Well, I think they're going after, if they go up, they're going after uh, the Erie Otters, Dylan Strom, so uh, Strom. So I right, the defense, the defenseman, right? Yep, yeah. And yeah, so I think that's yeah. what they would want, yeah. Um, that's it, what it's going to be interesting. They say he's a great fit for our Coyotes, but we know if he's added to, you know, the Blue Jackets, that's going to be, you know, killer. So I think he could definitely make an impact at some point, especially the injuries that we saw last year. My goodness, can you imagine, you know, getting a young stud like that coming in and playing some valuable ice time? Yeah, and to for a guy to be an impact immediate player, it, they're probably going to have to go up and get and go up to three for a guy to come in this season and contribute. Uh, the other guys are in the NHL. It, it's a rare, rare guy that comes in and plays his first year. But I think the top three, maybe even top four picks, are guys that do that. Yeah. And then the Blue Jackets added assistant coach, uh, the skating and skills coach of the Chicago Wolves, Kerry McCutton. And uh, gave uh, Curtis McElhaney a two-year extension. So Blue Jackets, you know, Dermo helping the Blue Jackets be in a great position this off-season. So great things happening. I think that's a great sign going into this NHL draft. One other guy to keep your eye on that from the World Champions, the Stanley Cup champions, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, they're going to have to make some decisions on Marion Hossa and Patrick Sharp. And I think Patrick Sharp would be the perfect player to bring into this team, a veteran with Stanley Cup experience who plays both ways, uh, brings you all the leadership you want. 
that's a guy they need to go out and figure out a way to get to Columbus. When they got when they won the cup before, and uh, they gave Kane that huge contract. Who did they have two young stars and who did they get rid of that? Remember? Yeah, Dustin Bufflin. Okay, where did he go? He's in Winnipeg now. Uh, I think okay. he is that Atlanta's old team. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta Thrashers. Yeah, in Winnipeg. I, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that would be a similar situation where they won that first cup and they gave Kane that huge contract, and you know that 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 would be a similar situation to that. So that that yeah. is a very spot on operation. I remember them doing that because it was a big deal. And then Kane got that. They did it before, and then Kane got that huge contract the next day or something like that. I just remember that happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they're they're actually already in salary cap hell right now. They they have to cut guys, and that's without signing anyone. So there's going to either one or both of those guys, Hosa or Sharper, are gone. Well, and one last thing on hockey: Gary Bettman and the NHL actually listening to reason. Will we see three-on-three overtime? That's the word. It's it's a done deal from everything I'm hearing. Uh, we're going to have three-on-three regulation overtime, and I think we're going to see a heck of a lot less shootouts because there's going to be just so much open ice, and it's it's really going to come down to what team has the most skill, basically, in overtime. So. Skill uh, and goalies, yeah. Goalies are going to be – I mean, it's, it's probably goalies like – right now thinking about this. <laughs> oh, man, I can't imagine. There's going to be so much room out there. It's going to be like a double-sized Olympic rink. Uh, yeah, so definitely excited for that. Uh, yeah, I saw that enough. So I was like, wow. Like, we've been I mean, we've been screaming for it for years. We've talked about it all here. I mean, but, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things that make, it makes so much sense. It, it'll be so – it'll be a lot faster paced, more fun overtime, and I think it's going to eliminate a lot of the shootouts which I'm in favor of, you know, they're kind of drawn out. They've lost their luster. It's, I don't even know if the guy, I know they're trying, but it's just not becoming of the game to end, to end your games like that, in my opinion. Absolutely. So we're very excited. Shout out to all those guys. It looked like it was an awesome cannon fest down there. So shout out to everybody, CBJ Artillery. Uh, we are the fifth line, everybody out there. And, uh, of course, getting ready for the March of the Union Army with the Columbus Blue Jackets schedule being released October 9th, the Rangers, so back at Nationwide Arena. So a lot of exciting stuff. And, of course, the uh, off-season schedule as well, the preseason schedule as well out there. So great stuff coming for the Blue Jackets. Excited about the NHL draft, though. That's the most important thing, and we can't wait to see what happens. As always, go CBJ. We are the fifth line in Blue Pride. Jake, we enter the world of MMA. We see another huge fight that will not happen. Is McGregor Aldo, Huh? The Jose Aldo Conor McGregor fight will not happen. The Jose Aldo has a rib injury, but more importantly, and this is just something that I'm just going to state, he had some issues with his drug testing. Um, and speaking of drug testing, real quick, the Bellator former champ, uh, Alexander Slamenko, suspended, the first ever suspended for uh, doping. Three years, his career done. We've seen that. Uh, I, think this, I think the MMA world has a huge problem with steroids. These guys, they can't recover from injuries fast enough without using the steroids, and these cards are suffering if it's not the UFC everywhere around the world. 
Yeah, that that's a shame. I was actually really looking forward to seeing that. Um, you know, the summer months are so dry anyways for the biggest fight of the summer to be canceled. It's kind of a bummer. I knew he had the injury and it was questionable whether he was get the fight was going to be canceled, but uh now to hear that he has a a cocaine or a rib problem, uh it's uh it's kind of a bummer. It's just to the point where you have to almost wait until the weigh-in, and even with that, it's not guaranteed that these fights are going to happen. Uh, now, will we get fight, another I mean, fighter for McGregor? It's a lot of rumors. Everybody wants to see Frankie Edgar step in uh, or uh, Team Alpha Male. Kimbo on, Slice. Uh, no, no, I'm going to get to that. In a oh. <laughs> uh, uh, we're going to see um, it's because it's a featherweight match. That didn't Chad, matter in that Chad, fight either. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 team Alpha Male's Chad Money Mendez might step in, but uh, we'll see. I mean, we're talking about three weeks here, uh, and it was just a fight that, uh, like you said, we have been they have been hyping it. You've been waiting since December to see this fight. Uh, you bring up Kimbo. The Kimbo slice Frank Shamrock fight was terrible. Ken, okay, Ken, people think Ken people, Shamrock. People Ken. think Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock. People think the fight was fixed. I don't even subscribe to that. I just think it's a terrible thing because of the fact the rest of that fight card was awesome. Uh, you saw a win by Pitbull in a fight before that where this guy was getting his ass whooped for the first round of that fight. Comes back with a flat. I mean, this guy literally was falling to the stool as the round ended. Comes back out and gets a flash knockout of his opponent to win the, and keep his title uh, run going. So, I mean, like, yeah, it was crazy. And then we get that spectacle that was the Kimbo Slice Shamrock fight. Um, I don't know. It's disgusting. Uh, yeah, we. It is what it is. You know, in MMA right now. I like that. Uh, for me, the best part of the night was when Ken Shamrock was about to be introduced, and you're what a rush. And then Road Warrior Animal came out. <laughs> I thought that was the best part of it. Uh, I mean, I had Kimbo, to see Road Warrior. I mean, that might be the last time we see Road Warrior Animal in a tank. And I mean, I felt bad it, because that guy probably could have got in there and gave a better fight than what Shamrock did. I'll tell you what, that, that might be the last time you see him in full regalia, uh, Road Warrior Animal. But the fight itself, you know, I, I think it was just as kind of a outside observer, it seemed like. Kimbo Slice was just too big for Ken Shamrock. He had that chokehold pretty much well, cinched in, it seemed that, like. That, and that was the, yeah, that was the other problem, though. Ken Shamrock did not make weight for that fight. You bring that up. It was a catchweight fight. Ken Shamrock gave up 40 pounds. He was supposed right. to be at 225 or higher. He was only came in at 205. So, yeah, and Kimbo, that, Slice, yeah. Weighed, Kimbo Slice weighed in, like I think, like 237 or something like that. So, that's like 40 pounds difference. I mean, like it was just like, you know, so. Well, that's why I kind of make the joke about Kimbo Slice fighting Conor McGregor. Like, if that fight happened, is the weight differential that much that Conor McGregor would lose to Kimbo Slice? No, no, Conor McGregor okay. would lose to Kimbo Slice. No, no. Okay. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting. The the latest Bellator super fight rumor I heard was Hoyce Gracie versus Ken Shamrock at their next one. Yeah, Royce Gracie was in attendance, and so he was cheering on Pitbull that fight before. So and uh. Royce Gracie might just want to get back in the ring and make Brazil look better after all the stuff that's happened. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. Now, another fight, the Square Circle. The Square Circle, the Battle of Ohio. Showtime, Sean Porter, 
gets the W over Adrian the Problem Boner, even with the knockdown at the end of the fight. Oh, but uh, Showtime Show Reporter just outclassed Adrian Boner for and was more aggressive during the first you know ten rounds of that fight, and it shows uh, especially on the judges' card. Boy, if we were playing PTI, what's the word? That was the perfect word. Just outclassed. He, he was just classier. He was a better fighter the whole fight. Uh, Broner's so unbecoming. You know, his his wannabe macho man uh, style to him. It just, I don't know, it's not for me. I respect the guy who goes in there and does his work like Porter does and uh, comes out with a win rather than all that flash. I can leave Broner. I like Porter a lot. Flamboyance is nothing without victory. And that's what Absolutely. I think. And I, I think that's why his, uh, his moniker, Adrian, the problem Broner, that's the biggest problem he has right now. Showtime's yeah. Tom Porter put on a show. He put on a boxing show, and it was great. This premier boxing, we're seeing some great fights. And that, I mean, I wasn't excited about that fight because we were seeing two Ohioans go at it. But it actually was a great boxing match because show, it was the greatest showcase for Showtime Sean Porter. You know yeah. I mean? And, and, and he was cutting weight to take that fight. So, you know, it's another one of these things where, you know, um, it, it, it propels Showtime Sean Porter where he needs to be, and it's great to see him who, when he was champion, was a great champion, and it would be great to see if he can get that belt back because we know he uh, represents Ohio well. Absolutely. If if I could pick one of those two to represent Ohio, I'm taking Porter every time. Let's go on out to the Pacific Northwest, and it wasn't the set of Mad Max, ladies and gentlemen. That was the U.S. Open that you saw at Chambers Bay. Um, Jake, I know you're excited about the way that it finished up, but I thought we just saw the worst spectacle in golf in maybe the years that I've been watching with that course. I mean, it was like just watching a bunch of old men walk around in the desert. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. It's not the most appealing course in the world. And as far as the difficulty in the green, there are a lot of players that complained about the greens. but they all had to play on them, you know, and, and there's something about the U S open once a year where you see all these golfers struggle and it kind of brings them down to your level and you almost feel good about it. Um, but I don't want to see it every week. It was all right. I mean, it's great for one week for me. I I really enjoy it. And what I did like about this course compared to some of the other U S open courses is when you missed a fairway, you had some options. Uh, it was thick, and there was it was hay, but you could get it up and down and play it. In some of these U.S. Open courses, you, you're only off just to chip back out to the fairway. So it allowed for the players to, to use their creativeness uh, there, and also especially around the green. Uh, they were very tricked, tricked out, and you had to really, really think about what you were going to do uh, before you did it. And as far as the outcome goes itself, I mean – that was Dustin Johnson's to win. He had a 12-foot putt on 18, and he needed a two-putt it to have a, a shot at a playoff. And on top of that, he just ran it. He just saw Jason Day run the same putt. So he knows the speed, he knows the line, and then he runs it back by three and a half feet, and then only takes 30 seconds, 38 exactly, to hit the second shot. So as far as it was just a complete and utter choke. Uh, you look at the the contrast of Jordan Spieth, uh, double bogey on on uh, 16, 
birdie, it comes right back and nuts the driver, nuts the three wood, and two putts for birdie, and that's the difference in the tournament. His two putt on 18 versus Dustin Johnson's three putt on 18. Well, I'm not in the hate watch, you know, and I know a lot of people were enjoying the way Tiger played there. I mean, it is what it is when it comes to Tiger Woods there. Uh, I will say this about Dustin Johnson. No matter how bad he choked, the guy was classy because he stayed and signed autographs afterwards. Uh, and then, of course, I'll say one more thing about uh, performance there. There's no more compelling performance than Jason Day overcoming his battle with Vertigo to play as well as he did that weekend. So those are the things that I, you know, take away from it in the way I felt about the U.S. Open. Great point. I mean, Dublin's own Jason Day uh, lives here in Columbus uh, in Dublin year-round uh, when he's not traveling or playing golf. But uh, the courage he showed, it, it, it you could just see it on him, him just struggling so much just to make it through the walk. Let's just have to focus on every shot and be on the leaderboard on Sunday at the U.S. Open. Can't say enough about the guts from that guy. Um, so kudos, Jason Day. Got anything else you want to get in there? Just to follow up, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be taken wrong. I think Dustin Jones, I know Dustin Johnson choked. Dustin Johnson is a great guy, and he, he's going to win a major eventually. Just because I'm saying that doesn't mean that I don't like the guy. I'm just saying the fact. He choked. He's a good guy. Signed autographs. I'm all for Dustin Johnson. I don't think that came off that way, but I wasn't saying it like that. I was just saying I was just I just saw that. You know what? I got I got into a Twitter fight the the night of the U.S. Open. It is what that all stemmed from. That that was my me basically taking on that Twitter challenge of it not being a choke and saying and clarifying my position. So you can cut all that out. No, that's fine. It's fine. Dustin Johnson's still the winner. He goes home with Pauline Aggressive. So, you know, Fuck I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't understand why people are so afraid to say that he choked. He choked. It happens. I mean, one of the, what is the greatest choke job at the, the Masters, Rocco Media? No, no, one? no. Greg Norman. That's a, and, oh, that, this is a great point I wanted to bring up real quick. If you're, so we can cut this in. You know, you had that choke job by Dustin Johnson on 18. And Joe Buck is sitting right next to the greatest choke artist of all time and Greg Norman and never once asked him what it felt like or what Dustin Johnson's going through. Instead, they turned to Brad Faxon and asked him about it. And, and so either A, Fox is uh, protecting Greg Norman, or B, Joe Buck is the dumbest guy in the entire room. And I, as much as, it, I, as much, yeah, I know Joe Buck's not everybody's favorite, but he's not a dumb guy. I was about to say, Joe Buck is protecting him just like he protects Troy Aikman about never discussing the concussions with him. Exactly. So that's the only Which point is, I was going to make right there. That's all right. I Yep, he's gutless. Either, either Joe Buck's gutless or someone at Fox, uh, a producer came down on high and said, don't ask Norman. So I thought that was interesting that he was sitting right there and nobody thought to ask Greg Norman what Dustin Johnson was going through after after Greg Norman's historic collapse at the Masters versus Nick Faldo. Uh, I don't remember the year exactly, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. Well, we're definitely looking forward to see if Jordan Spieth can finish the trifecta. I can't remember what they call it, but and also win the, the grand, grand slam up there. 
Yeah, win a grand slam. If Jordan Spieth can, you know, become from uh, really earn the name Rare Jordan and win the grand slam. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We're coming back, talking the season that was for the wine and gold. All right, Jake, let's get into it. The Cleveland Cavaliers did not win the NBA championship. But what? first off, I want to go ahead. What? What do you mean they didn't win the championship? They didn't win the championship. Uh, the greatest team of all time, the Golden State Warriors, if you hear them tell it in the NBA pundits, uh, won the NBA championship. Uh, your thoughts you, on the NBA final? Well, I, I don't know. I'm confused because Dwight Howard told me that the Cavs are still champions, but I guess he doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. Um, as far as the Cavs championship run, uh, yeah, you get that close and it hurts a lot to not come home with it. But what they were up against and what they overcame and how they took what they had and got the most out of it, you got to be happy with that. Uh, the better team won. Uh, I don't know if it was the better team if both teams are completely healthy, but the better team with the guys on the floor that were there definitely won. And, I mean, LeBron was superhuman and had to be to keep us in it. And uh, it, it's definitely – positive steps and building blocks and all that sort of stuff. You, you, you got to, you gotta, I guess you, nothing's going to come easy. We're Cleveland, so. Yeah, you know, I mean, they didn't win, yada, yada, yada. My, my, my point is this I want to go to is the Golden State Warriors legacy in the NBA. I, I have been inundated with it. Uh, you know, it's, of course, the, the victory goes the spoils, and they get their victory lap, you know, so then people can talk about it. But this whole thing, they're the greatest team ever, and the stats they put up and all that, that's all well and good, but they're not the greatest team ever. I don't think this Golden State Warriors team could be any team that ever won an NBA Finals before, and that's any team in a seven-game series. So that's one thing. So stop with that. And they also went through what is equivalent to me as the strike year when the San Antonio Spurs won the NBA championship with all the injuries in the NBA this year. You know, I, I, I have been talking about it all year long, that I had never seen a year like this with so many – Star players have got hurt. You know, I mean, you you go through it and you just think about it, even in their own conference. I mean, uh, Kevin Durant with the the OKC Thunder. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Marcus Aldridge plays all year with the Blazers with the injury, and Matthews goes down with the ACL. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, if you look, you know, even in the playoff run, the the Rockets didn't have Beverly. The Clippers, you know, what I'm saying, were down. The Grizzlies, the Grizzlies had Mike Conley with a broken face and Tony Allen with a hamstring, and then they get to the Cleveland Cavaliers where we're down Kevin Love and we lose Kyrie Irving after game one. You know, I, so, you know, I, I like you said, the better team won because they had more healthy bodies at the end of the day. But to say that they're the greatest team ever, and one other thing, this guy's not the greatest shooter ever. He didn't even show up until the fourth quarter of these games, which that you can say he's a closer, but I'll give you five shooters, in my opinion, that were better shooters than him. One, Rip Hamilton, Mark Price, Larry Bird, Drazen Petrovic, and I'll even say Robert Ory. And the best shooter that I've seen, like just pure shooting, and this goes back to college days with Sean Respert of Michigan State. So, you know, it, it's just one of these things. Like, I, I'm not a Steph Curry hater. I actually like his game, but 
the way that they played, they won that more of a team way than uh, one player leading them through it with a successful performance. And it definitely wasn't Steph Curry, uh, you know, that uh, propelled them through this uh, NBA Finals. No, and you didn't even mention Reggie Miller or even Hell, their head coach, as far as maybe being a better shooter. Uh, so, yeah, easy. I, I don't know. Maybe you need to get off the Golden State message boards, sounds like. But uh, I'd make the argument they're one of the five worst teams to ever win a title. I mean, honestly, I put them up there with 79 uh, Sonics. I was thinking about it this way. You know, like, could they, could they even beat teams that lost over the last years? Like, you know, like, could they have right. Could they beat Miami but, last year? Exactly. Miami, the Spurs, 76ers team, the Mavs, the okay no, Thunder, with no, the, with no, the no. Westbrook and Kevin Durant. So, like, yeah, this I mean, is, it's just – that's why I think it's equivalent to me to strike you. I'm not trying to rain on their parade. They, they, they literally earned it. They, you know, they, they won the game. You know, like yeah, Cavs but it's went up the Cavs, the Cavs were The Cavs were one – they were literally – one basket away from being up on these guys 3-0, and we know how that would have went. So it is what it is. And, um, and Kyrie would have been available if, if they would have yeah. made that bucket. So uh, be happy with your win, okay, the city, um, and, and quit trying to compare yourself to great teams. Win another championship. There will be plenty of time to start comparing to great teams. Right now, you're not. You have zero Hall of Famers. You've got what two all stars on that team? I mean, give me a break. It's that's that's uh, two all stars that really didn't show up in the NBA Finals to to survive a couple. Like uh, I I would only say, like you know, uh, uh, cameos where you know Clay Thompson had a good game, game two, but that guy was—I mean, that guy was on a milk box for the rest of that series. So yeah, I couldn't even imagine. I, I couldn't even imagine matching up the last 20 NBA title winners versus matching up the, the Golden State Warriors. It's real easy to think about it. It's the Spurs, the Lakers. you got both series of the Lakers. you got the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. They ain't beating them. you got that no. pass team that beat the Heat. you got the Detroit Pistons, both versions of them. we got the one with Rip Hamilton and Rashid Wallace in them. And you got Maybe the them. Maybe that. I don't. I don't know. I don't think they can beat them because those guys. I mean, Tayshawn, those guys, and Rip Hamilton was so good mid range, and the way yeah. that they face on defense, they just don't have. I mean, like I'm telling you, I can't see them. Right. So it is what it is. Uh, we look are at they the beat, Are they beating the 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 uh, Celtics, the Garnett uh, Celtics with Paul Pierce? And, he's too dominant down. I think KG just too dominant down low, and Rondo's yeah. too good of a defender on Steph Curry. I mean, you got that. <laughs> Yeah, what are we talking about here? <laughs> you know, and you got Ray, you got Ray Allen, a shooter on a shooter with Clay Thompson. I mean, you know, yeah. so. And what, but Kevin defends. I mean, here's the thing: Draymond Green defends Kevin Garnett. In what world? Yeah, you get out of here. Yeah, as Donnie so, Brown uh, says, forget about we, it. We look, we look at the cast, and uh, we, you, you know, we saw all the negativity and the things. I mean, that's what happens. You lament, and you really you do a little hand reading. Uh, your thoughts on, you know, we give Coach David Blatt a grade, and your thoughts on the whole Sean Marion controversy and even the, where he comes out with LeBron James right now, uh, just with everything. We, we read it to death. Uh, I give the guy an A. 
just considering all the stuff he's had to do and deal with all year long. And uh, with Sean Marion and even like Joe Harris, we talked a little bit about on the draft show. What what more could you really get from those guys? I mean, you don't know, but um, the Cavs couldn't score, and that's what was the biggest detriment, and they didn't have enough healthy bodies. Yeah, I mean, I I think I probably would have liked to have seen Sean Marion and for if nothing else, just for a spell. But uh, oh, as far as I mean, he's not going to be back next year, so it's not really any controversy as far as I'm concerned. Uh, as far as David Black goes, I, I I really think he did an outstanding job for what he was put up against. I mean, he took the job without knowing about LeBron, then has to adjust to LeBron and play second fiddle and be the public face and come out smiling when LeBron uh, cracks him from behind about changing a play call or uh, whatever it might have been. And then he's adjusting with a brand new roster of guys. I'm not talking about just adding LeBron. I mean, they they switched out 75% of that roster of guys who didn't never played each other. And you can say what you want about the Eastern Conference. You still got to win the games. You still got to get there. So for him to do what he did this year and have to manage all those personalities on the fly, uh, I, I think he did a great job. Yeah, you got the situation where, I mean, we forget the malcontent and the situation with Deion Waiters. I mean, I think the Sean Marion thing went bad with David Black. Remember at the beginning of the season, you know, he was moving him in and out of the lineup and playing him a lot then, and I don't think, you know, something something happened then because we saw a lot of Joe Harris and a lot of Della Dova. Now, here's the biggest thing that I can say about David Black this year, and the reason that you can, you can unequivocally, of all the other things, everything is like a tangential, well, maybe this was somebody else, this was somebody else. David Black wanted to play Matthew Delvadova all season long, as many minutes as possible. They did it, and it actually paid off in the game, whether it was in the Eastern Conference Finals and even in a couple of games that they won uh, against the Golden State Warriors where Matthew Delvadova was excellent. And I think that experience of playing those minutes during the season helped Matthew Delvadova uh, be able to give what he gave during that championship run. Well, you know, thank God for Kyrie's injury because it was getting lonely driving the Matthew Delvadova bus. And I had plenty of people on the bus come playoff time. But, uh, it, you know, it's good to be first, I guess, sometimes. I mean, that bus became one of those city uh, expanded double double uh, double connected buses. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, we, 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 you were driving a short bus. You were driving yeah. the shirtless last summer league, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right now I've got was, like, uh, yeah, I've got the tour bus now. I've and I was throwing, I was throwing snowballs at that mofo. So you know saying? Like, uh, but uh, yeah, no, there's no question. So I give him credit. Uh, one of the things that I would just like to see somehow the Cavs have got to become a united front and get some consensus between the coaching, LeBron, and everything else. I don't know how they achieve this. This would be one of the hardest things. You know, uh, or maybe it's not as bad as perceived to the uh, 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 Uber media that, circus that is comes with LeBron James. Yeah, you know oh, I don't I, know. I, but, I, like, I don't know. I thought you were going to say that gas sack Windsor's. Everything that happens with the Cavs, you know, like I mean, like you know, one of the things I got the future coming up on with Nia Bias, the offseason stupid. It's like we're all holding our breath. Wow, everything happens with LeBron signing, love. and I mean, David Griffin had the press conference. Everybody's opting out, so it's no surprise. But then today, 
uh, five-minute segment on Sports Center. Love, I, I, is he really going to take meetings with this person? That person? It's like, come on, you know, like so. Uh, it's the life of a Cavs fan now. And would you would you want it any other way? As the Cavs are favored by Vegas to win the NBA championship. That's odd, you know, with the draft coming up and everything. It's a weird position to think of the draft as an afterthought for one of my professional sports teams. It's a nice feeling, though. So a lot of positive things going on for the Cavs. Uh, they'll figure it out. I, I think time is going to help. The offseason will help. Uh, another year of maybe an offseason with LeBron and David Blatt, they can kind of get on the same page a little bit more. Um, I, I think the nice thing about Blatt is that he's he's willing to not have that ego and power trip to say, no, this is my team and take on LeBron. He's willing to, you know, acquiesce and say, listen, I, 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 somebody's got to drive the bus, but LeBron, you're my co-pilot, basically. So for for a coach to be able to do that and relinquish power to a player, that's a selfless man who knows what's best for the team and, and wants to win. So in that regard, uh, I think David Blatt's a good fit uh, until he cannot coexist with LeBron. Yeah, and I, I think he's got to figure some things out with his family and whatnot, whether they're coming over here. Um, I think that'll help his personal situation get better. But here's the other thing. They actually now have a full off season where they can meet with guys. He can David Black can develop some plays or something like that, email them off to guys and stuff like that. I'm saying just a full communication with everybody that's actually connected to this team is actually possible now. It wasn't like some all the movie pieces that were happening last year and even through the season. So the continuity will be the biggest key, I think, uh, once that, you know, can be built upon, the small amount that was built upon during that playoff run can then be built upon through this offseason. Uh, one of the things that you got to question, though, is, uh, and, you know, he had a great season, but, you know, it kind of disappeared on us a little bit in the finals. Uh, J- to J.R. or not to J.R.? What do you think about J.R. Smith? And Coach Black was actually J.R. Smith's biggest supporter all year long, and I think that kind of helped empower J.R. Smith to have the great run that he did. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought to have J.R. for the long term, but I, I just I don't think it's a good fit. Uh, J.R. is fabulous to watch, and if I had a really bad team, I would want no one else except for maybe Nick Young to be on my team for entertainment purposes. But you never know when J.R. Smith is going to cost you, and that's the problem. Whether that's costing you with a stupid play, whether that's costing you by being out drunk the night before, whether that's not shooting well the night you need him to shoot well, there are just way too many variables in J.R. Smith's game to go along with the J.R. Smith experience uh, for me to to count on him. And I, I... I think at this point they're going to part ways. I think one of the stamps that, and we talked about, you know, you, you used that uh, analogy of LeBron James and David Black kind of co-piloting the plane. I think where David Black can put the stamp on is that second unit with the Cavs. And so, like, if you bring in some of the possible replacements for a J.R. Smith, like an Aaron Afalo from the Portland Trailblazers or Danny Green or even an O.J. Mayo, you're, you're looking for a guy that can shoot. Uh, some other guys that I thought about was like Alan Anderson from the Brooklyn Nets, Troy Daniels from the New Orleans Hornets, formerly of the Houston Rockets. Uh, you know, you're looking for guys that are shooters that, you know, can help spread that floor and, uh, you know, catch and shoot guys, you know, that can help spread that floor. Um, and I think that could be the real – and David Black, build that second unit offense 
almost like a second team. You know, like that's what your second unit really is supposed to be. I want a team coming off that bench, five guys that can defend and score in the NBA if they have to for a full 48 minutes. If you have that kind of mentality and kind of philosophy with your second unit, then LeBron James and them, the rest that they could get through the regular season and then come playoff time, you, know, you think about the great teams that, you know, we kind of talked about it with the legacy and whatnot. Those teams that we mentioned, I mean, you especially, you know, the great uh, that documentary was running on Clutch City. Think about the guys coming off of that bench for Houston. We all know it was going through dream and everything. But you had guys coming off that bench, you know, a chance to sell and things like that, you know, uh, that were, uh, you know they, they were the part that really helped propel them when Dream was on the bench, which wasn't a lot, but they, that was the whole thing. You got great performances for those guys. So I really think the Cavs need to look to that, um, and, and that's what that, that second unit will be David Black's greatest accomplishment. Uh, as we saw, it was a little bit too. You, during the regular season and later in the season where the Cavs were winning, we saw the second unit, you know, come in game and keep lead. And, and you, you said, you know, uh, you know, you kind of want to stay even, but they would actually excel because they would run David Black's offense a little better than the first unit would. Yeah, and, and to, I mean, you you say the second unit, but anytime you got a second unit, you're still going to have one of the the superstars on the floor, whether that's Kevin Love or Kyrie or, or LeBron. You know, there's very few times that you see five guys that didn't start all on the court at the same time outside of blowouts. So I, I think that your idea is, is right with Blatt having his imprint on it, but it's almost got to be like, all right, who integrates well and is interchangeable with different combinations more than fitting into a specific second unit? Well, I think we would need a guy that can help run the offense. As much as I love Matthew Delvadova, I, I want a point guard that can score and actually run the offense. You know, you think about Mogadi, a guy like Mogadi. Mogadi. I, I don't want to see the return of, of the, the return of Mogadi. <laughs> um, a guy that I think of automatically that comes to mind is DK Augustine. He, I mean, he, he yes, yeah, I love his game. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of guy that I think of. Um, you think about maybe a Gary Neal who's out there. You know, these are guys that can come in. We know the Cavs are going to have huge cap problems next year. You know, these are guys that can come in on, you know, three to $4 million contracts that can actually fit into a system. And you're not, you know, looking down that roster at four guys that have over 14 years in the NBA that, you know, you know I mean, you're looking at some young talent that maybe can come in and help. So, those are, I mean, there's four guys up on Western Ohio bias uh, that uh, we look at. Um, there's another guy, too, that uh, might fit that role and be available. Grimes Vasquez does a really good job in spurts, like 18-minute spurts. When he has to start, he's not nearly as good, but he can shoot the three. And what he does do is he protects the basketball. Whoever we bring in, we can't have the turnovers from our guard play that we had this year. Uh, it, it killed us a lot of times. So I, I think that's got to be a big consideration in whoever you bring in. Does he take care of the basketball? And play defense. Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge thing between Shumpert and uh, Matthew Delvadova, uh, this 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 uh, finals, this championship run. And I know it's a different – And JR. And JR. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and you bring up a good point with Vasquez. That's one of the trade rumors out there that Toronto were putting him out there. So we know the Cavs will be trying to use that Brendan Haywood contract to try and possibly the 24th pick, uh, possibly to, uh, you know, uh, package somebody. Another guy that's been mentioned out there is Kyrie Devins from the Pelicans. 
And then even the Miami Heat are dangling Mario Chalmers and Chris Anderson out there as a possible deal. That's another rumor that's been out there with the Cavs. One well, other one I saw was Ken- Kevin Martin was also a name that I saw. Yeah, I, I'm not too high on any of those um, just because of the simple fact that the vascularist one doesn't – I've been a, fat, a huge fan of Greer's Vasquez played at Maryland. So um, I always watch him. My only thing with Greer's Vasquez is that so, sometimes he can pound the wood with the ball a little too much. He, he, he doesn't have the greatest vision as a passing point guard. But you can't be a perfect – you can't get anybody perfect coming off the stage. So I realize that. Um, but that's – I'm just saying that somebody that's watched the game for a long time, you know what I'm saying? That's my only critique of Course. Well, Grievous Vasquez would be perfect for when LeBron's not on the court then, pounding the basketball on the on the wood. He'd be like the perfect perfect fit. And they could stand in and have him on defense and, and have right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's some of the things that you look around the league, and, and we kind of talked about it on our draft show. I think the NBA, we're going to see more trades. We saw some already happening. Nick Batum from the Portland Trailblazers going to the Charlotte Hornets. For Noah Vonley and Gerald Henderson is a big one to me. Um, you know, the talk out of Sacramento, the whole thing with Gerald Carl and the Kings. And I asked you this question, uh, you know, where would we be if we had Gerald Carl as a coach right now? Would he be running LeBron James out of town? Because uh, that's pretty much what's happening out there. Exactly. Or Kevin Love. Or Kevin Love, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that would be the guy I'd be worried about if, George Carl was here. I mean, right now, Kevin Love might not be here anyway. But, uh, you know, the, if you're going to change David Blatt out at some point, it has to be for a guy that is just a home run. The the George Carls, Larry Browns. You know, I don't even know if Jeff Van Gundy, being as far removed from the league as he has been as far as coaching, is is one of those home runs anymore? I don't know that Mark Jackson is one of those home runs. What does he ever want? So um, there, there's very few guys that would replace uh, David Blatt right now. And yeah, George Carl is one of the few, but it, it would be really interesting because George Carl, uh, like you said, Mike, but he's not going to acquiesce to LeBron the way of David Blatt has. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, I, so be ready. It's going to be fast and furious NBA offseason. Guys are going to be moving all the way around. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. I will say this. You talk about home runs and coaching. A lot of words came out of the Zen master, Phil Jackson, the president of the New York Knicks over the last week or so, you know, talking about LeBron James traveling a lot, but uh, the, which I don't even – I just think that Phil's trying to yeah. get LeBron Cause, James. Because Michael, Michael, Michael never got an advantage. I think so, it's just him trying to play a little mind game with LeBron in case he ever gets to the NBA Finals against him. But also, too, I think yeah, he's trying to say LeBron. I think, it's a subtle, I think it's a subtle jab to LeBron about the fact that he's always making his coaches look bad, too. I think that's something that he's just, as one of the coaching, the grandfathers of a coaching fraternity right now, I think he's trying to send a, a, you know, a, a message to LeBron, a subtle you know, jab that way, too. Uh, because the thing of the matter is, it, it's one of the worst criticisms you can have when you talk about LeBron James and how he understands the game. When this guy coached probably two of the most selfish players in the NBA history, uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and for him to question <laughs> LeBron James trusting his teammates and understanding how not having the ball in the NBA to the, the guy that uh, arguably one of the greatest passes of all time. So, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you know, you bring up my one 
complaint this year about LeBron. And that's, he's such an intelligent guy. And it's just such an unbecoming look for him to, to pretty much out his coach in public. There's nothing gained from it. I don't understand the strategy of it. And it's something that he just, he needs to cut it out. He needs to keep the business in the locker room, you know, and we all know you're the best player in the world. You know, you don't need to get up there. And that I give him a little bit more pass on because it was the kind of heat of the moment in the middle of the finals. And it was in response to a question, but all the antics with David Blatt and even Kevin Love on Twitter, the passive aggressiveness just needs to stop. Man up and get in the locker room, get face-to-face with someone and tell them what's wrong. But could you make the argument, maybe he's trying to bring the media scrutiny down and test these guys in a way that you can't really tell from somebody's character how they really are until their feet fell to the fire. Hey, I can say one word. I can show you that. I can say one word about you and bring down a fucking hellstorm on you. And can you handle it and still be the same person that you're telling me that you are? Yeah, but why would you t- now, have to if we, uh, Hold on, hold on. Hey, hey, listen, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not saying that that's the, the way that you should be. But I'm saying if that, if that might be the case. Now, if we see this going on into next season, the same thing, then yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit here too. It's not like what I truly believe. I don't right. care for it either. But I'm just saying, like, it could be a feeling out process of something going on as well. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a strenuous situation, and that's what it goes back to what I was kind of was talking about earlier. It's like the consensus and like the Cavs being on the United front with the coaching staff, GM, and LeBron James all. You know, cause, and now here the narrative's coming out right now that these reporters are attacking LeBron James for being the GM of the Cavs and having, you know, all that dead weight for these old players on the Cavs roster, and it came back to haunt him. That's why he's not an NBA champion. So, you know what I mean? Like, he has to deal with it regardless. You know, I mean, he always is going to deal with it. So he might have been testing these guys in the first year seeing how we move forward, you know? Yeah. He, hasn't, he could come out right now. If he really had a problem with David Black, he could come out and say it. Or he could make it be known. So he's not doing it. I don't know. Right. I don't like but then why, it. I don't why like fan the flame? I, I, right. I don't yeah. Like it. But, yeah. I mean, like, it's not the way I would do it, but hey, you know. <laughs> right. So that, that's my only complaint about uh, what I saw is the uh, some of the stuff in the locker room needs to stay just there in the locker room. But, yeah, and then we, we, we end with the great news. They have uh, picked up the extension from Timothy Moscow. So we will see Moss back in the middle next year, and I think that's great. Although a little bit of, you well, know, I don't know if it's sad news or what it, to qualify it as, but Kevin Love did opt out. Uh, so he's a free agent, and it's going to be interesting. I, I think the Cavs have as much of a decision to make as Kevin Love does. So uh for all the speculation that he's just going to re-sign right away, uh, you know, that Max TV money comes up next year. Uh, so he'd be dumb to sign a big, long contract. So it looks like he's going to sign a one-year contract. And I wouldn't be shocked if he was part of a sign-and-trade with the cast. There's a lot of rumors about that. I don't see that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I love he doesn't want to be here. Uh, and, there, I mean, if we're, going to, if we're going to start pressing a panic button for everybody opting out, everybody's going to opt out this year. Everybody's opting out, uh, and LeBron James is going to opt out. So I mean, like, everybody's going to opt out this year. So I, I'm not going to press the panic button 
And like I like I said on our draft show, I actually am more optimistic with this Cavs front office than I have ever been probably in a long time. Uh, probably even back to the days of Wayne Embry. And that, you know, ridiculousness. Uh, the Cavs GM, David Griffin, has given us a – he hasn't – you can't make the point to one move and say, David Griffin, fuck this up. And the only people yeah. that will are these goddamn Wiggins fucking – we should have had Wiggins and Wiggins could have shut down Steph Curry. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to smack the shit out of somebody. So, you know, the thing is, the fact of the matter is, Andrew Wiggins was not going to help the Cavs win the NBA championship. So I'm just gonna flat out say it. I know that I might be one half of the person being Kevin Love really way, but didn't either. Kevin Love really didn't either. Kevin Love was hurt. You can't you can't blame yeah. the no. guy, and he did help them. They were routing the Celtics. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever, going into a closeout game again. Come on. <laughs> the Cavs were the Cavs were up on the Warriors. You know what I'm saying? With Kyrie. I know, I know. I'm joking. I don't want to fight. So, I was just trying yeah. to get. I was just trying to. You're fight. not, you're not gonna get me fired. I've been, I've been holding it. I've been holding it. The Wiggins <laughs> argument is so tired to me, just because the simple fact that the matter is nobody wants to point to the fact this guy might not have been ready for prime time. He wasn't time ready when they played in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, clearly he wasn't ready when the Minnesota Timberwolves could only win six games. If somebody can yeah. fight, fight that argument with me, then hey, you know you might have time will tell. Time yeah, will tell. He's got he, he has plenty of time. So how, how's that right. time working out for uh, Doug McDermott out there? That's all I want. To know. Um, his time is running short. <laughs> but <laughs> Wiggins, on the other hand, he he's got a at least three quarters in the hourglass, I'd say. I will say this is going to be exciting NBA offseason. Don't don't press the panic button, but we'll see the Cavs getting a lot of these things done. Uh, as always, go Cavs all in. Uh, we close with uh, two things real quick. One, the U.S. women's soccer team has made it to the semifinals. Uh, great win over Columbia, even though Megan Rapinoe got a yellow card and will be out for the next round game. Uh, you know, I, I got a real problem with Abby Wambach who is the vocal leader and pretty much the captain of the U.S. women's soccer team, complaining about everything under the sun, the refs, the, the field turf and everything. We know turf sucks. They shouldn't be playing on turf. They should be playing on real grass. But Abby Wambach sticking it up for the U.S. women's national soccer team. She missed a penalty kick that a five-year-old could make at a Ladybugs game. And, uh, you know, it's time for her to back it up with her play on the on the actual green. So. She's going to have that opportunity. We're going to be without Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan. So these young guns that have been carrying her for the last two World Cups and Olympic runs, you know, it's going to be time for her to put her game behind where her mouth is. Uh, and, of course, we end the show with the great news that the Ohio State Buckeyes football team are favored in every game next year by double digits by Vegas. Well, they should be. They play the Little Sisters of the Poor. Oh, no, with apologies to the Little Sisters of the Poor. Uh, <laughs> you talk about a soft basketball schedule. Jeez, oh, man. Um, we got a good shot at repeating. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and, uh, you know, well, one thing is we lament the loss of Urban Meyer's projection screen TV and the flood that happened. Uh, hopefully, Coach Meyer's basement Man cave can get upgraded now uh, after that uh, that terrible terrible act of God. Yeah, start with a septic pump. Yeah, I, I mean, I got some real questions for the uh, realtor who sold Urban Meyer at house. Right. You got to wait till uh, Hurricane Bill comes through to find out the sub pump works. 
So uh, if you want to sign off, that, that's all we got. Uh, we we had uh, we wanted to get this one in. We know we're lamenting. Uh, we wanted to say it ain't so that the Cavs lost, but it's the truth. Uh, no parade this year, but hey, the future Hell is so right for the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, we 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 now talk in a championship vernacular about one of the professional sports teams in Ohio. So if you can't be excited about that, I don't know what else to tell. The bar has been raised. You're on notice, Indians and Browns. Uh, we thank you for listening. We appreciate every tweet, every favorite, every comment. Anyone and everyone who listens to this podcast, please share, like, and follow. Email and tweet your thoughts. Uh, agree, disagree. The discussion of our fan, of our favorite team is our passion and fuels our fandom. You want to sign out? Yeah. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Be kind to one another, even if they're wearing a Michigan jersey. We salute our medical professionals. Our thoughts and our, we salute the medical professionals, doctors, nurses, caregivers, anybody that eases the pain of those in pain. Uh, we say a special prayer for the troops that are in service, the veterans that have returned, any and everyone that serves this great country. We say a special prayer for those that have that those that might be behind enemy lines or that are missing in action. Uh, as always, go Browns, roll tribe, go Cavs. Wrestling is real. Rest in peace. Oh. A special moment, real a special moment to the American dream, Dusty Rose, who passed away. Probably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. One of my, I, mean, I think he might be my favorite wrestler of all time. Uh, I know you, I, I know we don't want to get too long on this, but uh, you know, I can't say enough about what Dusty Rose was to wrestling and just to me as a young man growing up, as a little bit of a portly fellow. there were very few as good as he was at connecting with an audience uh, especially on a microphone cutting a promo Uh, the guy just knew how to keep you captivated while he was talking and uh, always had that message of uh, he's the common man you know he's the guy fighting for you so and in the ring maybe not the most skilled guy in the world but gave all the blood and all the sweat and everything else you wanted uh, and was just a, a great, great report, uh, performer. He'll be truly missed. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's the common man. And for a lot of things that, you know, of course, what's going on in our country and, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad situation now in South Carolina and God bless, you know, all those lost souls. But for Dusty Rhodes, you know, a guy that talks with a Southern twang and, uh, you know, for me growing up, seeing the way that he was, I mean, you know, it he represented, I think, the greatest things of anybody that comes from the South or anything like that because he pulled himself up and he made you feel, even through his own self-deprecating way, he made you feel that, you know, he was the common man. So it didn't matter what color you were or whatnot, you could identify with Dusty Rhodes. Um, and I think that's the greatest part of his legacy for wrestling, even in an industry that, use the stereotypes to, you know, uh, their advantage as much as possible, that he was somebody that could cut across all that and was a true, true, not only just champion, but a great human being that you felt jumped off the screen seat. LFC, as always, go Bucks. 
O-H. I-O. I just went, I forgot about that. I meant to add that to there. Nice. All right, man. Well, I'm gonna All right. draft one up tomorrow, so I know that. But, uh, All right, I gotta leave at six a.m. Uh, I'm driving to South Carolina, so uh, driving a truck to South Carolina, so I'll be kind of out of the loop for the most part until uh, Saturday night. All right, yeah, not that much going on about the draft. Though. No, it's I'll slow. Be. It's slow. So it's slow on Twitter, and uh, in a couple weeks, I'll have a much better idea of. Uh, where I'm at. So we'll go from there. All right. All right, brother. Sounds good. Sounds good. Later. Thanks, man. Later.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.